Right, so I'm going to be reading two bits here. Um, one is going to be uh, verses 14 to 21, and then I'll be reading verses 38 to 41 as well. So, here we go. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from the, that place. Many followed him, and he healed all the sick, warning them not to tell who he was. There was to fulfill what, had, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And then verses 38 to 41. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miracle sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up to their judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repeated at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So the book of Jonah, you can, you can open your Bibles to the book of Jonah if, if you want. As I say, I'm not going to pick a particular passage from Jonah today, because I just wanted to do a sort of little introductory sermon on this book. Um, okay, so the book of Jonah is sometimes just seen as a sort of entertaining story for children. But that is a great shame because it's actually one of the most challenging books in the Bible. Uh, its message is deliberately uncomfortable and unsettling uh, because this book asks us some very searching questions, particularly for those of us who claim to be people of faith like Jonah was. Um, almost everything that is, is said to Jonah in, in this book comes in the form of questions. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. So almost everything that's said to Jonah comes in the form of a question. Um, and those same questions, of course, were not just for Jonah. As we read this book, those same questions are being asked of us. The, the book asks us to think about our attitudes to God our attitude towards ourselves, but particularly, above all, our attitude towards those around us. And that is a good thing, even though it can sometimes be uncomfortable to hear those questions, God wants us to think about these challenging things, because if we do think about them seriously, and we let God challenge us through them, they can change us, they can open us up into new ways of seeing things, and of new ways of living and being in this world which are more reflective of, of God. Now, I just want to say a few things today about the setting of this, this book. Um, now, the book of Jonah is really about God's grace. Uh, grace is God's love that comes to us without any questions 
about who deserves it or whether we're good enough or not. Grace means gift. And that's what grace is. It's given. God's, it's God's uncalled for, freely given love, freely given compassion, kindness, even when we might not expect it. In fact, even if we might expect the opposite from God. Grace is his kindness and love. But more specifically, the book of Jonah is about how we can rejoice in God's grace ourselves, God's love, God's compassion. But we can then find it very difficult to see the same grace given to certain other people, in particular those that we dislike for some reason, those who've hurt us, those who've become our enemies, even those we might see as evil. That's the discomfort of this book. It asks us, how do we feel about grace when some toe rag that we do not like receives it? Do we still like grace then? And if not, why not? You know, what's going on? This book is saying, what's going on in our hearts when grace bothers us because we think that person over there should not be shown any grace, but they have been? So the, the key to this whole book is actually the final question that it leaves us with in its very last verse. God asks Jonah and us, should I not have mercy on, in this example, Nineveh? Now, up until that point at the very end of the book, Jonah, the prophet, has emphatically answered that question, no. No, you should not show mercy or compassion on them. Jonah did not want God to do that, and it angered him, in fact, when he did, when God did. And that's the key to the book. That's what the book is really about, and that's what it's exposing and challenging in our lives. Now, before we rush to condemn Jonah, let me explain to you why it was such a difficult thing for Jonah to see the Ninevites receive God's mercy. Now, it's certainly not that, it's not that Jonah didn't understand God's compassion and grace and mercy. He did. Jonah is a prophet. Jonah is a worshipper of God. He tells the sailors that in chapter 1. Jonah prays and praises God for his salvation in chapter 2. Jonah has a very clear understanding of God's compassion and grace. In, in chapter 4, he actually says that he knew this is how God is. He says, I know you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, you are a God who relents from sending calamity. But the struggle for Jonah was that God's compassion would be just as true for the Ninevites as it was for him. And it's because of who the Ninevites were that Jonah found that so difficult to stomach. So, in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, we discover when and where Jonah lived. Uh, so Jonah is mentioned there in 2 Kings 14, and he's speaking to, as a prophet to Jeroboam II, who was king of the northern kingdom of Israel at the, that time. So this is when the, Israel had been divided into the, the northern and then the southern kingdoms. Jonah's up in the north, and he's speaking as a prophet to Jeroboam II, who was king. So we know from that uh, where Jonah lived and when. He lived during the 8th century B.C., in the northern kingdom of Israel. And that's very significant. It was during that very time that tensions grew between Israel and Assyria. 
And, and Assyria is where Nineveh was. Nineveh was a city of Assyria. It became a capital city, in fact. Now, during that century, of when Jonah lived, Israel firstly became what we call a vassal state to, to Assyria. It means they, Israel had to pay tributes to Assyria each year. Effectively, they came under Assyrian domination. But as the century progressed, tensions in that region increased and increased between the superpowers. And there was, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, little them in the middle. And eventually, actually, Assyria attacked and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and they took the people away into exile. So that's the Assyrian exile. So during this period, Assyria was responsible for some of the worst threats and suffering and disaster ever to have befallen ancient Israel. And Nineveh, that became its capital city, was therefore a symbol of all of that, a symbol of the worst kind of godlessness and sin and violence and oppression. I'll talk a little bit more next time about just how horribly violent the Assyrian Empire was. They, Nineveh was a symbol of the most dreadful empire and kingdom that they had ever seen. Indeed, the book of Jonah begins on that note with God saying to Jonah, Nineveh's evil is so great that it had come up before God. It's like it's piled up so high, it's in front of God's face. And he's going to send Jonah to speak against it. So that is the era in Israel's history that we're dealing with here. And out of which this book came. And so for the ancient Israelites, there were serious problems with Nineveh. It wasn't just that you know they were people who worshipped false gods. All the other nations did. Nineveh, Assyria, was the worst of nations. Whose violence and, and cruelty and hostility and sin and bloodshed had been directed against them, the Israelite people. God's people there had suffered some of the worst suffering they had ever known as a nation. And that is the shock of this book. God called Jonah to go to them, to the Ninevites. And to top it all off, God showed them mercy and compassion and grace when they cried out to God and repented. He saved them. Of all people, the very worst kind of people on the planet at that time, the worst kind of people imaginable to Jonah and his contemporaries, God saved them. So this is a book about very real wounds that can sometimes hurt us, and they can, they're such deep wounds that they can even make something that's as wonderful as God's grace a difficult thing for us to apply to other people. It's about the offence of grace in that sense. It's about how God's grace sometimes seems too gracious for our liking. It's about, it's about those limits we would sometimes want to put on God's grace. But if we do, we won't have grace at all. You know, we put our limits on grace. You know, our boundaries, or not, not them, not that far. And God just steps over those boundaries, those lines that we draw. And he has mercy on the least, the ones we least expect. The very nature of grace is that there is no us and them anymore. The very nature of grace is that if it's true for me, despite who I am, it must be true for everyone, despite who they are. 
So when it comes to God's grace, we cannot have double standards where it's one rule for us when we mess up, but a different rule for others when they do. If grace was like that, it's not grace anymore. It's then just about our relative merit, you know, our achievements, how much better we are than others, and that's got nothing to do with grace. This book of Jonah insists it's always grace with God and only grace. So this is, so I wanted to say by introduction, the book of Jonah is not about a silly, foolish, rebellious prophet who we find quite amusing because he should have known better. That is not what this book is about. This is uh, an ex- this was an extremely difficult thing for Jonah or any Israelite at, at the time to process. And that's why God actually had to give them a whole book about it, to help them. The reason Jonah goes to such extreme lengths to avoid Nineveh, the reason Jonah gets so despondent when Nineveh is saved is because it creates for him an ethical and theological crisis. As far as Jonah's thinking, he's thinking, shouldn't God be judging the Ninevites for what they have done to us? But instead, when the Ninevites repent and turn to God, God just saves them. And that is the sort of ethical and theological crisis that Jonah's faced with. Jonah praises God for one in, for saving him in one, uh, one minute in chapter 2. You know, praise God for saving me. But then he says he sees it as a great evil. That's the words he uses in chapter 4. He saw it as a great evil when God later on saves the Ninevites. And that is what God is dealing with in this, this book. That's what he patiently questions in Jonah's life. And through this book it's also what he will question in our lives too. God's grace is so far-reaching and it works so completely apart from any questions about who does or who does not deserve it. God's forgiveness is so immense that it can actually knock us off balance a bit sometimes like it did Jonah. Now that reminds me of one of my favourite parables that Jesus told in Matthew 20. And it's a parable that's shocking. Because there are some workers, he says, and they they are called to work in the field throughout the hot day from the beginning of the day to the end. They worked a full, long, tiring day. And then there were others who, they only got hired at the very last hour, so they just did an hour's work at the end of the day. But they all got paid the same by the master. And there's something in us that's like, that's not right. You can't do that. And the workers who had worked all day asked the master about it. They said, why, why did you pay them equal? Why did you make them equal with us, they said. Which, by the way, is a really good description of grace. Grace makes us all equal. It's not about what we deserve or how well we've done up till now. It's entirely about God's compassion and mercy and love. And so God's grace will treat us all equally as we come to God. And so in the parable, the master says this to the workers who've been there all day. He says, look, don't be envious that I've paid you all the same. He says, don't, don't begrudge my generosity. In other words, he's saying to them, just receive it. Just be glad of it because it's for you as well. And that's grace. Wonderful parable, but a very challenging one. And without making light of the wrongdoing that people sometimes do to us, because like Jonah, sometimes those hurts, those scars that we've carried are very real. 
You know, Nineveh's sin did come up before God. God did send Jonah to warn them about that, to tell them and to speak against what they were doing and to warn them of where it would lead if they carried on. So he's not making light of that sin. But this book challenges us to see that that God's grace is still even there, offered to them too. Ninevites, as much as you and me, if we will turn to God. And that's the point. No one is outside of the reach of God's grace, even the people we might think should be. So even when, you know, as a church today, you know, if we, we want to, yes, we want to speak up against injustice. We want to speak up against wrongdoing in the world that we see around us. And God calls us to do that. A bit like Jonah being sent to Nineveh to say, what you're doing is so wrong. Yes, we have to do that as a church. But we always must do it with a desire for God's transforming grace to meet and challenge and therefore change the lives of the people we speak to. We must always desire the salvation, the peace, the transformation of those who we speak God's truth to. Otherwise, we're not speaking as God does, who this book shows us always. God always leaves that door open for people to turn to him and receive new life. Okay, so brace yourself for this book, because it's not always easy, but sometimes the best things aren't very comfortable at first. God has to unsettle us so that he can take us to somewhere better, just like he did with Jonah. So that we can begin to answer the question at the end of the book in a whole new way. We can say, yes, Lord, yes, I'm glad you had compassion on those people, even them. <laughs> you know. And we've got to learn that actually, yeah, because if grace is for me, then I must believe it's for them as well. Ready to reach them, ready to save them, to turn their life around as well. Now that's challenging. It's just as challenging as when Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard people say, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. That's easy. But Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them, he said, so that you will be children like your Father in heaven. On one occasion, Jesus related his own death on the cross for us. To those three days that Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Jesus, the son of God, he knew more than any what it means to love his enemies. Because he loved us. And rather than condemn us for our sins, he died for our sins on that cross. He took all the, our wrong, yours and mine, and he died for our sins on the cross. He took all of that. The, all, the Ninevite that's in all of us, shall we say. Jesus willingly took all of that and died with it all upon his shoulders. So that like the Ninevites, we too can turn to God and be saved, forgiven, made new. Because God so loved the world that he gave his son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And the thing I want to just leave you with today, and I want you to just think about this over the, the coming weeks. I said to you earlier, almost everything that's said to Jonah in this book comes in the form of a question. What are you doing, Jonah? Who are you? Where are you, where are you going? Why are you angry, Jonah? Isn't, isn't this, shouldn't I do this, God says to Jonah? All these questions. Now that begs another question for us. Are we willing to let God question us? And I, I want, this is really what I want to say today. Are we willing to let God question us, challenge us, change our lives 
so that we can come to a deeper understanding of him and a truer reflection of him in how we live. Jesus said, didn't he, it's like a vineyard. Sometimes God will need to prune bits away from us so that more and better fruit can come. Now, is that part of your faith? That pruning? Is it part of your relationship with God that we are open to sometimes those uncomfortable things that God needs to deal with in us? That God might need to ask us questions and challenge us about things? Are we listening? Are we listening not just for God's reassurance, God's comfort, God's confirmation, all of which are wonderful? Are we also listening for his, why are you dot, dot, dot? Where are you going? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be seeing it like this? You know, we live in a, in a very consumerist culture today. And we've been taught, as good consumers, that everything's supposed to be tailored to how and when and where I want it. And we've got to be very careful as Christians that we don't think of Christianity like that. We are not just here to feel good and get what we want to hear all the time. That's not what Christians, Christianity is about. Sometimes we're meant to be here on this journey of faith, I mean, so that God can teach us and challenge us and change us so that we can grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Because if we don't, if we refuse to be challenged by God, if we refuse to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, how will the world ever see the difference Jesus makes? So we've got to be willing to put ourselves where Jonah was. Yes, with all our frustrations and reluctance and stubbornness like him, yes, we're the same, but we're there listening and learning from God's questions as he walks this journey with us. So make sure your faith, your life as a Christian is always open to that part of things as well. And may God bless us and teach us as we look at this book over the coming weeks and above all, Let's pray that he leads us to Jesus Christ through it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, not just for the really lovely verses that we put on our wall that are comforting and encouraging. And those are wonderful, Lord. We're so grateful for those encouragements and confirmations and reassurances from your word. But I think we all do a bit of cherry picking sometimes, Lord. We all pick those verses and then skim over the more difficult ones so, Lord, we're just asking as a church that we won't be frightened to do that vulnerable thing of actually opening our lives up to you and not just saying, fill it with really nice stuff, God, which you do, but also actually, God, challenge us. Uh, prune off the bits that have got a bit rotten and old or the bits that are going in the wrong direction, the bits that are not bearing fruit. Lord, just challenge us, question us, prune us as a vineyard so that what's not needed or what's not helpful, what's not life bringing will be cut away and something new and fruitful will come. And we pray that, Lord. That's a scary prayer. I'm a little bit scared praying it myself, Lord, because we're asking you to challenge us and to change us. But we believe that's good. And why do we believe it, Lord? Because we know you are good. We know that you're not going to trick us. You're not going to take us down a blind alley. You're you are the God who always wants to lead us into your light and goodness and life. And so we pray this confidently. Challenge us and change us, Lord, for the glory of your name. Amen.